Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of 1 John, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. 1 John 3, 4, and 5. We gave you, at the beginning of our introduction in the miracles of John's Gospel, the thought that John wrote his Gospel that people might uh, believe on Christ and be saved. And he wrote his epistle that men might know that they are saved. In fact, we had that in our introduction. So tonight we're going to take you through the third, fourth, and fifth chapter and point out some verses. There will be 11 references. And you can just circle them, highlight them, or check them as you go along. And they all have to do with the word ye know or we know. In fact, know. That's the main thing. The subject of know. That we know. And in 1 John, we'll give you those references and talk a little bit about them as we progress through these different ones. Now, I'm going to, on purpose, skip the one in 3 verse 2, and and we'll have it last. So instead of that, I'll give you 3 verse 5. Now, the reason I'm doing that, it fits in better with the uh, conclusion of the lesson. So, it's like Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Not all together, because we'll take the second one. But anyway, the very first reference we have is in 1 John 3, verse 2. But let's look at 1 John 3, verse 5, and number them in this way. 3, verse 5. Put number 1 by that if you would like, or check it, or highlight it. It says, And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Now, there's a lot of things we know. Here's what we know about Jesus. That He was manifested to take away our sins. The Bible teaches that He came into the world to save sinners. And that in order to do that, John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The sins of the world. And that's in John 1, verse 29. By one act, by one mere act of His sacrifice, He took away all of our sins. And we find that uh, there are many places that shows us that He was manifested. That means that He was uh, born into this world. We, we see Him. That the Father sent the Son. Let me give you some references in John's Gospel. and We'll just look at them briefly. And you'll see where the Father had sent Jesus into the world. And therefore, He was manifested to take away our sins. Look in John chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 34. John 4. In verse 34, we'll give you several places. It says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Now notice, that him that sent me and to finish his work. So he was sent from the Father. You can copy these references down if you would uh, uh, like to. But we just want to point out some places where it shows us that he was manifested or came into this world. And then John 5, verse 37. Look at 5, verse verse 37. It says, And the Father Himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. The Father Himself, which has sent me. John 6, verse 38. Look at this one. It says, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. So where did He come from? It wasn't His beginning when He was born of Mary and laid in a manger. He had preexisted and he came down. He already was. And he says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And we could go on and show you several times 
where he came down from heaven. In this sixth chapter, verse 33, he says, He that cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. Uh, if you were to go on and on through the sixth chapter, you'd find in verse 39, And this is the Father's will which has sent me. Look at verse 40. This is the will of him that, that sent me. That everyone that which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And you could go on and on uh, in the sixth chapter about Him being the one that was sent. There are many more references than what I've given you. But look in chapter 8, verse 18. 8 and verse 18, if you will. And notice what it says here. It says, I am... I am one that beareth witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. So, putting all these things together, and we still have, there would be multitudes of things we could bring into the picture to show that he was manifested or sent into this world. And our text says that he was manifested to what? Take away our sins. So, in order to take away our sins, he had to come into this world and become man, and then die on the cross as he did to redeem us to God. The only perfect man that ever lived. The only sinless man. Uh, Peter and John and Paul, all three testify. Uh, one says he knew no sin, he did no sin, and in him was no sin. He knew no sin, he did no sin, and in him was no sin. And Jesus himself said during his ministry, he says, which of you convinceth me of sin? Can anyone accuse me of sin? So we find that he was manifested. First Timothy 3.16 is a good verse to look at. And then we'll leave this particular uh, subject. First Timothy in 3, 3 and verse 16. And notice what it says here. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now look, God was manifested in the flesh. That's what we're talking about. He was manifested to what? Take away our sins. So this was the, this, by the way, is the main reference to what we're, the subject matter that we're dealing with. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Isn't that a whole story of it? Great is that mystery of godliness. Jesus came down, was manifested in the flesh. He was preached to, uh, about. He was uh, uh, justified in the Spirit. And uh, He was seen of angels. And He was preached to the Gentiles. And He was believed on in the world. Not only by Gentiles, but Jews and Gentiles. And then what happened? He was received up into glory. And from thence we look for Him coming back again. And showing Himself and revealing Himself to the world. Now then, I want you to look in, uh, back in our text in 1 John chapter 3. The next reference I want to give you is verse 14. Mark down the word we know. Or we might run across ye know, but it's know that we're dealing with. The word know. And remember that John has written these things that we might believe and that we might know that we have eternal life. So it's uh, 1 John 3, verse 14, right on in the third chapter again. It says, we know that we have passed from what? Death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, how do we know 
You know, people say, I'd love to have assurance of salvation. I have faith in Christ as my Savior, but where do I get assurance? Well, there's a lot of evidences of assurance. John says, and by the way, we'll depart from this just for a second to show. John says in the fifth chapter, verse 13, we'll deal with it in length when we get there. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now then, his purpose is to that what he's written is to convince us and to assure us that we have eternal life, right? So, that, that purpose is kind of stated in 1 John 5, verse 13. We'll deal with it when we get to it and give you another number for it. But right now, look at 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. So, he's writing about our love for the brethren to finally show us that we know that we have Eternal life. So the assurance of salvation comes from what? Knowing that we love the brethren. If you have the love of God in your heart for the brethren, you wouldn't have this by nature. You only have it by the imparting of that love by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe it's Romans 5, verse 5. What does it say? It says, And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Spirit. It says we have the love of God by the Holy Spirit. Let's see if it... Romans chapter 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us as evidence of being justified. You read the previous... The context of this passage. Verses 5 on down. In fact, the last two verses of chapter 4 of Romans. You'll find he was delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification. Then Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And you progress on down to verse 5, and it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is what? Where do you get it? Is shed abroad in our hearts by what? The Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So by nature, we do not have this love for the brethren. And so John, 1 John 3, verse 14, we know, listen, we have passed from what? Death unto life. Because what? We love the brethren. We have a Holy Spirit given love for the brethren that gives us assurance that we've what? Passed from death unto life. Isn't it wonderful how God's Word, one line upon another and one Scripture upon another can just give you double assurance of things that, he, that God has written in His Word? Someone says, I'd love to know that I have eternal life. I'd like to know that I've had passed from death into life. We know by our experience. We know by a lot of things, by our conversion. But you know, the Word of God gives us additional assurance, doesn't it? It gives us additional assurance. It says, you know, really, if you had any doubts about your salvation, he says, here's something that will help you. John says, I've written these things unto you. He says, and we know that we've passed from death into life because... We love the brethren. All right, let me give you the next one now. It's uh, in 3 verse 19. Look at 3.19. First John, we're still in First John. Hold your place there. 3 verse 19. And notice what it says here. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Now, hereby, that means by what we just studied in the previous verses. And so pick up with verse 16 to give that hereby we know some strength. Look at verse 16 now. Hereby perceive we that the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, we ought to 
uh, lay down our lives for the brethren. That's that love he was talking about. Now follow it on down. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from, from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How does the love of God dwell in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He tells us our love cannot be hypocritical, cannot be pretended. You know, someone says, I love you in words. Well, we hope they mean it. We take their word for it. And tongue, but the deed and in truth is the proof of it, isn't it? It says, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby, if we love in what? Deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. And it says, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So we have assurance in our hearts before Him. If we really love in deed and in truth. That's the kind of uh, love that we need to have in our hearts. Now then, let me give you the next one. 3 verse 24. Drop on down. 3 verse 24 is the next one of these words we know. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The Spirit which he has given us, the Holy Spirit, causes us to keep his commandments. Now look at the verse before it. Notice the word hereby connects us with at least verse 23. Verse 23 says, And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And then he says, and he that keepeth his commandments, that is what? To believe on Christ and to love one another. See, if he keeps these uh, commandments, dwelleth in him and he in him. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, in God, and he in him, in Christ, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The Holy Spirit bears witness to this kind of uh, faithfulness and kind of obedience to God. Now then, let me give you the next one. Well, let's, let's deal with that last thought before we go to the next one. It says, by His Spirit which He has given us. Now, when did He give us His Holy Spirit? When we were born again, remember? And I gave you time and time again Ephesians 1, verse 13, 14. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. Listen, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believe, you were what? Sealed with that Holy Spirit a promise, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. And then Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So all of these things uh, add into this verse that we just studied. All right, let me give you the next one now. And we'll try to hurry along. We'd like to cover all of them. Uh, that was 324. Now then, look at... Uh, 4, verse 13. Now, this is number 5. If you haven't numbered them, number this, number 5. Now, I'll go back. 3, 5 was the first one. 3, 14, the next one. 3, 19, the next one. 3, 24, the next one. Now, 4, 13 is the one we're fixing to take off. That's the fifth one. And I hope you have them all. Because they're worth it. Just underline or circle them or mark them in your Bibles. Something to have evidence of it. So notice what this one says. 4 verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. It's still tying in love with this Holy Spirit. Now then, hereby. 
Doesn't that connect you with some things that we've just read? Okay. What does it connect you with? The same truths that we gave you in the last reference. Believing on Christ and loving one another. Loving God. Loving one another. It connects you with these. And it says in verse 13, let's read it again. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him. We dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. Now drop back to get the truth of this matter. And stop back with verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So that connects us with Christ by the new birth. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Christ coming into the world, Him loving us, Giving his life for propitiation. Look, here in his love, not that we loved God, we didn't naturally first love God, did we? But that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. And look, verse 13 again. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He had given us of His Spirit. And that Spirit bears witness to all these things that we just read. Hereby. Hereby. And hereby as well as having the Holy Spirit as a witness in our hearts. Alright, let's go on. Let me give you the next one. You find it in uh, 5 verse 13. That was 4.13. Now the sixth one is in 5.13. And this is really a text for the whole of, of what we're studying if you want to Keep it in view. 5 verse 13 would be good to just start with as a kind of a purpose and a text for the whole that we've studied. Notice in 5.13, John says, These things have I written unto you. Okay, that's what we've been studying, right? Uh, what is written. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Believers. Those who are born again, those who are already believers, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look, that ye may know, look at that, that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, I want you to know that believing on the Son of God, that you can know, because I've written all about the evidence of it here, all he's been written and all we've studied and all... The content of the whole, not only the verses that we pointed out, but all of First John that we studied. And if we've read it down to this point, he's saying, this is the reason I wrote all this to you, that you may know that what you that believe, he says that you may know what that you have eternal life. And he adds something to it and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. Why did he put that extra thought in there? We know that he has given us eternal life and he's written that we may know that we have it. And knowing that we have it, that He's not going to take it away from us, then what? It gives us more faith to continue to believe. That you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You you follow that line of thought? In other words, suppose God said, okay, I've given you eternal life. And somewhere along the line, He said, now I'm going to take it back and you don't have eternal life. Could you believe on the Son of God further? We used to have a name for those kind, didn't we? And I won't say it. Because you might think I was racist, and I'm not. I love them. I love them. But you know what we used to call the ones that give and take back. But anyway, God's not that way, right? God is not that way. And He won't give it and take it back. And the reason that He writes that last line, John says, I want you to know, because you have eternal life, 
that, that you can rest assured you have it. And he says, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You know that God's not going to take eternal life away from you because He's given it to you. The gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You couldn't keep it if, you, if it depended upon you for the keeping. But it doesn't depend upon you. Because it's life that God has put inside of you so that when this old body goes back to the dust, that you're still going to live on and be with the Lord. That's just a matter of, of doctrinal, scriptural truth. And how so many people want to shun away from it is beyond me. It's a very precious thing to know that in spite of my frailty, in spite of my fickleness, in spite of what might happen to me, suppose I'd lose my mind, suppose I'd be crippled and, and be to a place where I couldn't think or understand in the last days of my life, Suppose all these terrible things, any tragic thing would happen to you or I, to any of us, and that we wouldn't be able to, to really know how the end would come out and we'd feel like we'd fallen by the wayside. God says, no, He's going to uphold you with His hand. The Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with His hand. You ever seen a mother or dad take their little child Three or four year old boy or girl across the street, a busy street, and I mean they hang on that hand. It's not that child hanging on to your hand that's, that makes him secure because he, he doesn't have that kind of grip. But it's you holding on to his hand or her hand. I mean, it's the father or mother that has a strong grip in the midst of that traffic and that uh, oncoming danger or whatever it may be that keeps it safe. And it's the father's hand that keeps us safe. It's not our hand hanging on to Him. Some people say, I hope I can hold out to the end. I do too. But my holding out my holding out to the end doesn't mean that God's not going to hold on to me. Because the Bible says, tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. A living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead... Listen carefully. Unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by what? The power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So who's keeping you? The word kept means as you'd have a, a garrison to encircle you and to protect you. It's a military term there, kept. And so we find that He keeps us in such a military fashion. He has the greatest arm in the world, doesn't He? He has the greatest arm in the world. You don't have to worry about uh, it not being successful. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him, and delivereth them. Psalm 34, verse 7. I believe I got it right this time. Okay, look at this now. So what are we talking about? Eternal security of the believer. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now then, I want you to look at the next one, just a couple of verses down. Verse 15. 5.15 And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Now I want you to connect that with the, the 14th verse. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. You know, sometimes we ask things according to our own will. 
And James says that you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So there's a lot of of, uh, ways of asking that are not going to be answered. But we know that if we ask anything according to His will, you know, that's why we need to pray that God will make us to know His will for what we ask. Not just ask amiss. Or ask that because we want something. Someone said, I want a million dollars. I asked for a million dollars and God didn't give it to me. Well, He knew you didn't need it. And He knew that you didn't believe you was going to get it either. So, He thought, well, you know, I'm not going to answer such a foolish prayer as that because if they needed it, I'd give it to them. And if I gave it to them, they wouldn't know what to do with it. They'd be more miserable than where you are. God knows what we need. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, give me neither poverty nor riches, right? But feed me with the food that's convenient for me. And Paul said, I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Whatever condition and circumstances of life, to be content. Can you learn to be content? If we're in the will of God, we can be content with a little or much, or even a halfway measure between them. God knows what, it, what we need to help us to live a, a happy life. And if we'll learn to trust in Him, we're going to be happy. Some of the happiest people in the world are some of the poorest people in the world. And God will give you what you're able to handle. Maybe some uh, luxuries, some advantages, some pleasures, uh, more than we ask for. God has given us more. You know, I'm amazed in my own life, and I'm sure most of you can testify, what God has done for you. I'm amazed at it. When I look back and think I was a little boy raised up here in Rio Dosa during the Depression, that my mother had to wash on a rub board and had two big old wash tubs and then rinse them in another tub. I'm not talking about any washing machine whatsoever. And make 25 cents for a whole load of laundry for some of the folks that had a little money. I mean, took her practically all day. Sometimes they'd want them iron and that was another dime or 20 cents maybe. All the clothes. Fold them. Get them ready. Can't even get a shirt done nowadays for that. I'm talking about a load of laundry. And you know, we were very poor. We were very poor. But God saw us through all those times. And I'm amazed at how God has blessed me personally and prospered my way. And I know it's not because of anything I've done. It's because God is gracious. And because God knows what we need. And you know, by the way, He'll give you what you can share with others. And He'll bless you in order that you'll be a blessing. That's what He told Abraham, isn't it? He said, I've blessed you in order that you'll be a blessing. And through thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And we could go into the details of that too. It has ramifications concerning Christ and His coming and salvation through the Lord. But anyway, God will prosper your way and bless you. If you'll trust Him. And the Bible tells us to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. We don't understand it. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. And the Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God will bless you. Most of us can testify to that fact. And if you'll be obedient and do His will, You know, Jesus said, listen carefully. Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosoms. you believe that? If you believe every word of God, you believe that. Someone says, well, can I give this? If I can't, I can't hardly afford, but you know, Lord laid it on my heart to give this to someone to help them. And if you do and you help an individual along the way in a Christian way of giving, I'm talking about genuinely from the heart, you're never going to lose. It says, He that lendeth to the Lord, he that giveth to the poor, lendeth to the Lord. And he that lends to the Lord, it says, God will surely repay him. If you don't believe this principle that God has set down in His Word, you're the loser for it. Because I guarantee you, God's going to keep His Word. And He's going to bless you. And so, make it a habit of trying to share what you have with someone else. And you'll just see that God will give you tenfold back. And sometimes, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. You never know. But God will bless you. But we're... Going to have to progress along. I want to give you these others. It won't take too long, I trust. But we're talking about in verse 15. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that uh, we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Now, how do we know that He hear us? If we, uh, this is the confidence that we have in Him. This is why we know He hear us. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. We know if we know the will of God, He's going to hear and answer our prayers. Jesus said that men ought always to pray. Jesus said that whatsoever you ask in my name. Okay? You know, a lot of people don't they misunderstand just using Jesus' name. We end our prayer and it's perfectly proper to end in Christ's name. Say, we ask it in Jesus' name. There's nothing wrong with that. But when he says, you ask in my name, he's talking about with his authority behind it. With his guarantee that that's what you need. It's with His authority. In other words, it's like He would endorse a check for you and say, here it is. But if you just say, I want to write the check and sign His name, that's forgery, isn't it? But if you want to ask it in His name and get Him to endorse what you're with His authority that you can take it to the bank, you know that what? He's going to permit you to have it. And so, in the authority of Jesus, because He's promised it, and because you know that it's in His will, and you're not asking amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. All right, there's oh so much that could be said about prayer, but we won't have time to deal with it more. You know, the Bible says, call in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And we find all kinds of promises in God's Word. Jesus said... Uh, when, when thou prayest, listen, when thou prayest, he doesn't say if thou prayest, does he? He says, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, pray unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. He's going to reward you. So, I won't have time to continue to preach on prayer because I want to get to these other things. The next one, just another verse down. Uh, verse uh, 18, 518. Look at this one. 5.18, what does it say? We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now, what is he saying here? That whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone that's a child of God is sinless. But it, the word sinneth means keeps on sinning and progressively keeps on doing wrong and sinning. 
uh, intentionally. It's not as if you were caught in a, t- a trial or a temptation and you failed. Because all have at certain times in temptations. Remember, Abraham, the father of our faith, failed. And he went down into Egypt and he told a lie and he got in trouble and he came up out of Egypt though. Didn't he? And God restored the blessings. He came back to the place of the altar and place of worship. But anyway, that's another story. But what we're saying here, we know that whosoever is born of God, he doesn't just keep on living a sinful life, but he that is begotten of God Keep himself. He, he keeps himself in the will of God. You're begotten of God. And that wicked one touches him not. He protects himself against the onslaughts of Satan. Remember, in 1 Peter chapter 5, listen carefully. It says, Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. I believe it's verse 8. Walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Tries to seek whom he may devour. But he says, the next verse says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. So the Christian resists that wicked one, doesn't he? And so you put up a fight. A lot of people, a lot of Christians just seem to go down without a fight. I mean, we've got a battle to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we better fight that battle in faith, hadn't we? All right, let's go to the next thing. Notice in verse uh, 19, and we know that we are of God, those born of God, those... that. Are of God. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Well, if we can't be convinced of that, our relationship to God is that we're born of God. The world's relationship is to sin. The believer can discern the things of God and understands that his relationship is of God. And, you know, I'm running out of time, but all of these things show us that we are a child of God and, and show us uh, assurance. We know. And the last one. Uh, in the line of things, there's two more, and I'll drop back to chapter 3 in just a moment. But 5, verse 20. Look at verse 20 now. And we know that the Son of God is come. We've already said He's manifested, right? And hath given us an understanding. We understand these things that He came for. He came to be a propitiation for our sins. He came that we would be born again. He came that we would love Him and love God and love the brethren. That we may know Him, that is true, so there's two in this one. There's two we knows here. That we know may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son. We're in His Son, Jesus Christ. And it says, this is the true God and what? Eternal life. This is the true God and eternal life. Now I want to give you uh, the... We had there in verse 20, the incarnation. We know that He's come. We had uh, His Word abiding in us. And His work now is abiding in His presence. We know that He's identified with the Father. We know that we're identified with He and the Father. We can know God's will through Him and submit to it heartily. And there's so many things that are worth note here. But let's get to the last one that I'll give you. And I said it would be in 3 verse 2. Turn back now to 3 verse 2. The last one in this number. And the reason we turn back is because of the the fact that it kind of puts a culmination to all of these. It could have been taken first and and left off where we left off. But I chose to put it last. And that's chapter 3, verse 2. Notice, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, now look, that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, 
for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him, that is in Christ. It's in you, but it's also in Christ. In other words, this hope dwells in us, the blessed hope. But our hope is not just in ourselves, but it's in Him. Purify themselves, even as He is pure. I want you to notice this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right here and now. Children of God. Verse 1 tells us, if you look back at verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. This is through God's love. And then it says, look, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. The world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Now look at this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, or children of God, right now. We belong to God. And it says, And it doth not yet appear. We do not know exactly all the future. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. We know we'll be like Him. We'll know we'll be a glorified person in the presence of Jesus. When He comes. See, the promise. You know, a lot of people have belittled the thought of having assurance of everlasting life. And saying, well, you know, if I had the assurance of having eternal life, I could just live any way I want to. Yes, but God's changed your want to. And furthermore than that, if you'll notice this verse of Scripture, the assurance that when Christ comes that you'll be like Him, what kind of an incentive does it produce in you? The next verse says, And every man that hath this hope in Him, what does he do? Goes out and lives a sinful life and backslides and tries to get away from God and lives for the world, the flesh, and the devil. No, it says, Every man that hath this hope in Him, what does he do? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That doesn't mean we're going to be sinless. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. That means our incentive is to do better and to be, live a more holy and godly life. And every Christian ought to have deep in their heart the desire to live a better Christian life. And if you have that hope really sunk down into you, it will cause you to have that aspiration. So this old business saying, you Baptists, you believe you have everlasting life, eternal life, and... And whatever you do, you're going to go to heaven. Yes, you're going to go to heaven. You're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Not by your works. Not by your continuance. Not by all the things that you do. But by what? By Christ. He's the one that keeps you. He's the one that saves you. And He's the one that keeps you. Can you, you know, I try to think about old Peter out there on the water. You know, when Jesus said, come on, walk on the water to me. And old Peter, began, he took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. He looked at the storm. When we look at the storm around us, we're going down. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we're going up. We're going to be saved. Anyway, can you imagine when after Peter cried out, Lord, save me, and Jesus stretched out His hand and began to save him. So suppose Peter had lost faith at that time. Do you think the Lord had let him go and drown? Well, no. He asked him to save him. said, hang on to me, Lord. I'm helpless out here. And he, you know, when he saves, he does a good job of it. The Bible says he became an author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That's obey the gospel. Believe on him. Trust in him. And are born again. Well, we thank you for your patience and kind attention. There's a lot more I need to say about some of these points, but uh, we...